Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. Team, welcome to the Freedom Hunt. Freestyle Friday is upon us. We are in the, uh, the height of the holiday season right now. Last-minute gift preparations going on. People going to check out the big tree here in New York City at Rockefeller Center and do whatever other Christmas stuff they like to do. And I got some news for you, for those who care about these things, and I'm, I'm willing to bet a lot of you do. Taxes are going down in this country. The latest and most breaking of news today. Just came, just uh, hit the airwaves uh hit the airways just before I came on air, and that is that the GOP is, well, the GOP has the votes, right? I mean, they they still could mess it up, but they're probably not going to. It looks like it is happening. It would be a $1.5 trillion tax cut over the next decade. It would have some pretty important impacts on the U.S. economy, could spur a whole lot of hiring and investment and good things. In fact, uh, you even had Bob Corker, who, for those of you who care, which I'm assuming is probably very few of you, but Bob Corker came along for this one. He was initially a no. Maybe he just wanted to get a little attention. He was initially a no, but he has said, Bob Corker of Tennessee, that he will come on board here. And Senator Marco Rubio, also known as Lil Marco, which Tyrone and I were discussing, probably doesn't like to be called Lil Marco. I've just, you know, it, I don't, you know, they're the nicknames like Bush would give people nicknames in the White House that they liked, you know, you know, be like, you know, you're, 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 you're my pal. I'm gonna call you pal. You know what I mean? But Lil Marco, I don't know about that. I think maybe, maybe I should drop that one from the description. Yeah, I think so. so. (laughs) Yeah, that's a yes. Okay, fine. Fair enough. But the Lil Marco got, I mean, pardon me, Senator Rubio got his way. He is, in fact, <laughs> yeah, see, now it's stuck in my head. He got his way. They, they made the uh, child tax credit higher. Um, it will now, instead of being 11, he, he wanted 2,000 from 1,000 with 1,100 of that refundable. Uh, I'm sorry, it already did that. Rubio wanted the amount of refundability to be $1,400. And it looks like he got it. They made some adjustments here and there, but more or less it is a done deal. Um, so there you go. You have taxes. Uh, you have taxes. It's going to be better for the economy than what we have right now. It's going to be better for the economy than the current tax regime. So, And it looks like I can't keep making fun of Republicans for not getting anything done. It looks to me like there will be something for them to celebrate going into the new year. So the biggest things here, though, really have to do with the corporate tax rate. As you know, uh, it ended up being 
dropped from 35% to 21%. Big multinationals are going to be getting a special one-time tax on money that they repatriate from overseas, which is a good thing. And, uh, yeah, uh, there's some other stuff they did for S-corporations and partnerships. I mean, now I sound like a tax guy, like I work at, uh, you know, H&R Block or one of those places, but and I don't. Otherwise, I'd know more about this stuff. But, yeah, a lot of taxes going down. It is a big tax break. Trump said that it would be a Christmas present, right, that it would be a Christmas present for America. It looks like that is going to going to happen oh and tyrone reminded me that there are now seven brackets down from how many were there before like i mean that seven seems like a lot to me 10 percent, 12 percent, 22 percent, 24 32 35 and 37 so there you have it um oh and the, there's an exemption on the 40 percent of state tax so now it's more than 11 million per person so if you only if you're more than 11 million dollars in in terms of inheritance, does the death tax apply? Uh, so there you go. So this could be great. Uh, look, the economy is already, in a lot of ways, doing very, very well. Uh, the economy is strong right now, and I think this will make it stronger. Um, the only people that get uh, kind of a, a rough end of the deal here are those who live in high-tax states who lose the ability to fully deduct state and local taxes. They're going to be paying a little more in that, but... A lot of other folks are going to be getting a uh, getting less, getting less in terms of taxation. So there you go. All right, Republicans, you got some stuff. You're you managed to get something done. And uh, I have to stop making fun of the Congress. Well, I, I, we're celebrating a little early. And I, as a general rule, I hate celebrating early. But at this point, I don't know how they could backtrack on it. Speaking of backtracking, do we know yet when Franken's stepping down? Because I said he's got to step down, and you agree with me, Ty, but... It was supposed to be January all along. It was always going to be January? Okay. Because yeah. people were calling in. You remember, they were skeptical. I'm like, come on, he can't not step down. But it, I, I, I still... I stand with my initial analysis. There's no way he can't step down. But every time I see a report that he hasn't given a date yet, I'm like, uh, maybe there's maybe that would be a problem. So we'll see. Okay, other things we're going to get into in this. I can't spend that much more time talking about taxes. Just want to tell you guys, uh, Corker is in, Rubio is in, and they got 52 votes as of now in the Senate. It's going to clearly pass in the House. Should happen Monday or Tuesday. Merry Christmas, everybody. Uncle Sam is going to take less of your private property away from you. <laughs> that's That's what we're celebrating here. Yay. I mean, I guess it's a good thing, but there you have it. Uh, we'll, we've got some new stuff on the Russia investigation we'll talk about in this hour. Also, the uh, sexual harassment stories and the, the, the political movement. And that's there's some new stuff there that I want to talk to you about. Um, I think we might have finally started to see that this is this is now becoming we're going to need to rein this in a little bit. You know, there are a lot, a lot of bad people. There was a lot that need to be cleared out. Right. The. The sexual harassment swamp had to be drained. I think a lot of it, I think a lot of that's been done. And now, at least in the very high profile cases, I know sexual harassment is going to be, it's going to be a problem forever, by the way. I mean, this is not anything that anyone's figured out how to stop. But now we're starting to see cases that are a little more, well, at least people are saying, one, they didn't do it. So you got to start with that, as opposed to a lot of the other stuff we've seen. The accused are saying, no, didn't do it. 
And then also some of what's being reported as a story that should go along with all these others. I'm, I find myself as trying to be a very uh, honest and thoughtful, impartial observer of this. I'm saying, I'm not sure this is this is this is not in the same category. This doesn't go in the same column as like the Weinstein, Spacey, Cosby, all that stuff doesn't go in the same same place. So we'll get into a bit of that in the next. And ESPN's gotten dragged into this now, a very public ESPN uh, spat underway right now. So we'll talk uh, we'll talk about that with Tyrone. And, and oh, I mean, it's Friday, and it's the holiday season, so we're all in a good mood, right? Let's do some action movie quotes, too. Hit it, Tyrone. Action. The Marine Corps is like a day on the farm. Heavy meals and banquet. Formation of parade. I love the call. Movie. What's the matter? The CIA got you pushing too many pencils. Quote. Uh, you know what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this? Jack Burton. Me. Fridays. Thanks for the advice. Action movie quote Fridays. You guys have had a lot of time to watch some action movies since we started this show. Right, we're going on, on our one-year anniversary coming up in a little over a month or so, maybe two months. Uh, so let's see what you got, because I think I still have the belt. You know, I think I still have the action movie crown, and this is me trying to uh, trying to get some of you to see if you can bring it. Uh, 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. We'll come back, talk about Russia collusion, maybe do some action movie quotes. We're just going to have a really uh, fun but information-dense show, as we always do. Stay with me. I am here not only to congratulate you, but to honor you for your courage and for your devotion. And I want you to know that with me as your president, America's police will have a true friend and loyal champion in the White House, more loyal than anyone else can be, I tell you. President Trump was speaking at the FBI National Academy graduation today. A lot of supportive and encouraging words for America's police. Now, that's not FBI agents in that room. It is local police that are training at Quantico as part of this academy. Uh, but the president was uh, was doing his thing there. I, I got my, my favorite part. Or my favorite uh, Trump stuff today was the impromptu press conference. We'll get into that. Um, he's got that's that's when Trump is really at his uh, at his best. I think the Trump sweet spot is just talking for five minutes to a whole group of reporters that think that they're going to ha- get one you know get one up on him, and he's just like, "Bring it." We got a bunch of quotes, though. Let's do it. Tim in Ohio, W H L O. What's up, Tim? Hey, how's it going, Buck? Hey, uh, before I get to my quote. I've got a question for you. Uh-oh. was watching uh, Patriot Games the other day. Which, which one? And oh, I'm sorry, Patriot Games, not the Patriot. Yeah, Patriot. the uh, Harrison Ford movie. Yes, yeah. Well, no, I don't do NFL. We're boycotting. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, so with Harrison Ford, and there's Buck, the analyst, somewhere in that building. And uh, my question is that, and then, of course, following with Enemy of the State and so forth, uh, was the technology that good back then, really? What they were showing us bits and pieces, was it that good or even better? Oh, you mean back in Patriot Games, like when they saw the uh, the, the feed of when they go into yeah, the... Satellites and... Uh, you know, and, uh, I, I don't know, man. I mean, I was alive in the 80s, and I just kind of remember, like, DOS discs. Well, that was like early and, 90s, I think. Yeah, okay, maybe it was early 90s, but I remember, you know... 
a CD then was like, ooh, you know, it was like cavemen discovering fire when you had a CD in your hand. So I, I doubt that all this stuff, I can't remember everything that's in there, uh, but I, I doubt that it's, uh, it was an accurate depiction of what the technology available was at the time. I mean, as you know, everything, the, my favorite thing in movies is whenever somebody has to hack something, it looks like they're in the Matrix and there's all these big cool screens and they're just like typing away furiously on a computer. I'm like, right. that's that's not what it that's actually not what it looks like. <laughs> that's uh, they're like okay. sitting there going through code and it's really painstaking and you know uh, okay. it it is not in that's fact a situation animal. where you get to be like uh, you know, standing up and doing a dance routine and you're hacking into the Pentagon. That's not how it works, from what I understand. All right. I I had my phone tapped back in the 90s uh, by the FBI, and and I just wondered if it was that good. But that was another story. Another yeah, apparently story. that's another story. Is that is that, is that uh, family safe, or can you can you tell us that one, family friendly or no? Oh, sure. I wrote a scathing editorial about Bill Clinton selling out our missile technology to the Chinese and getting all that loot for it. And uh, next thing you know, my phone started making funny noises, and my father, who worked for Bell Telephone for 30-some years, said one night, hey, that sounds like an outside line tap. And I proceeded to tell him the story, and he said, you dumb nuts, they're going to watch you forever. So now when I go to buy a gun, i got to go through FBI checks. You know, like the dealers, they never heard of such things. But anyhow, huh. that's another story. All right. Well, so, Tim, uh, Merry Christmas. Thank you for... A, a, oh, wait. Oh, I'm sorry. You got a quote. You got a quote. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. I watched this one the other night for the couple dozens time. I know you know this one. Well, shoot. I've been a one little star, a picnic, and a rodeo, and that's the stupidest thing I ever heard of. I have no idea what that is. Oh, come on. Oh, that's slim. That's slim Pickens when he's in the B-52. I still don't even know what we're talking about. Dr. Strangelove. Oh, never see. Is that an action movie? No, that's not an action movie. Tim, Merry Christmas, and we love you, buddy, but that's not an action movie. No, no. You, Ty- Tyrone, Tyrone and Amy are both waving you off the island. No. Not an action movie. We, we guys, we got to have standards here, okay? We, we got to have standards. It's got to be an action, it's gotta be an action movie. I feel like the dude in The Big Lebowski when he's like, this is not, oh, no, it wasn't the dude. It was Walter. Walter, who's like, this is not Nom, dude. There are rules, right? That's, there are rules here, folks. There are rules. Uh, John in Georgia. Good to have you, sir. Hey, Atlanta podcast minion checking in. Oh, nice. Thank you. Yeah, baby. Um, by the way, before I get into my movie quote, the last caller brought up uh, Patriot Games, and you talked about that scene with the feed, which is just absolutely awesome. And uh, James Earl Jones goes, SAS can take out any one of those camps, kill everyone, and be gone before the bullets, before the echoes fade. No, it's a good scene. James Earl Jones was great as the, yeah. uh, well, he was an admiral, right? Yeah, he was an admiral. Yeah, he's the admiral. I can't yeah. remember his name. Admiral Greer, uh, I think, yeah. was his name. Yeah, I believe so. Did you ever read uh, Dead of Honor? Oh, yeah, I did, about uh, about Mr. Clark and how he's got the the lady that he saves from, like, the human trafficking prostitution ring. I was very young when I read that. I was like, what is this? Do you remember how Dead of Honor? Oh, no, no, that's not Dead of Honor. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of, uh, 
a different Clancy novel, which was uh, a Dead of Honor is the one where he drives a plane into the White House in the joint session of Congress at the end, right? With the Japanese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was on a different but one. What's interesting about that is that Dead of Honor came out in like 93. Oh, yeah, and before, so when, I know, before when, planes yeah, were being when weaponized. When 9 11 happened, then people were like, who could have ever thought this could happen? I, I immediately was like, uh, Tom Clancy thought this could happen, apparently. You know, yeah. yeah, no, he wrote all about it. Yeah, for those who don't know, yeah. Dead of Honor, it's a joint, it's, well, it's a movie where the Japanese uh, essentially orchestrate a way to retake their law, some of their lost territories from what they initially uh, took in World War II, uh, including Guam, and uh, then they basically said, look, we took this stuff, we don't want to fight anymore, we've got nukes now, but this other guy... Well, I guess we've already kind of spoiled it, but they end up running a plane into a joint session of Congress and just basically taking out the entire U.S. government. So, Yeah, and there's a, there's a part in the book where CNN is actually helping the U.S. military, and they go, well, we're an American broadcast company, so we want to help the American military. Could you imagine that ever happening in the universe we live in? Um, that, that CNN would take sides and try to help our military? No, in fact, I th- I worry sometimes, and thank you for calling in, John Shields, hi, podcast listener. Uh, I worry sometimes that the media, well, I mean, I think the media does actually take the side uh, of not our country. Uh, sometimes the media decides that they will do things that, that they should not uh, and that are harmful, harmful to us. So n- not never mind do they uh, not necessarily help out the United States government. I think they actually sometimes are willing to hurt the United States government. And now I'm trying to find the Tom Clancy novel that I was thinking of where Mr. Clark is, I remember I read it in like the fifth grade. I just picked it up somewhere and now I can't find it. Dead of Honor is a great one though. That's one of his most famous ones. Highly recommend. This is actually good for me to start thinking about this because as I'm going to be on vacation after the Christmas break, uh, there will be, good opportunity to finally read some books that are just, like read some novels for fun something i don't usually something i don't usually get an opportunity to do so there is that um all right 844-900-2825 844-900-buck by the way you go through tom clancy's novel list it's insane that guy wrote so much and did it's it's incredible uh, anyway all right, all right, 844-900-2825. Call in with your action movie quotes. We're going to talk about the latest on Russia, FBI, collusion stuff. It's incredible. FBI's got big problems. There is rot that goes deep at the DOJ. We'll talk about the latest on that. And now, as if it wasn't clear enough that this is all just a partisan exercise and nonsense, now the Democrats are piling on Rosenstein. You know, it's just... They just shift with the, with the news cycle. You know, whatever's useful to them on one day and then the next, it's not. No principles, no scruples. That's what you get. This is the party of, the party of uh, Pelosi and Schumer and others. I just realized John, John, want, John had an action movie quote for me. We'll, we'll let him do it on the other side of the break, and then we'll talk about this Russia collusion nonsense. I will be uh, back with much more. Stay with me. All right, it's action movie quote Friday. We are in freestyle mode, so... There are things I want to talk to you about, but we also have every line lit. So let's get into a couple of calls here, and then I'll tell you about how the the Russia investigation. Here, here's the here's the teaser. So you got to wait with me through the calls, and then we'll get to this. The Russia investigation's just falling apart. It may continue on, but this thing is now a sham. I mean, I've thought it was nonsense all along, but now we have proof. 
We have proof. This is just the the shrill, delusional pro-Hillary left trying to find some way to justify their hatred for Trump. Their whole not my president thing, which started even before this investigation. They're looking for some way to intellectually excuse being such a bunch of babies. All right, uh, John from Georgia. Sorry, we didn't let you get to your quote. I cut you off before. So what is the quote you got for me for Action Movie Quote Friday? Hi, Buck. Long time no speak. Yeah, hey, we missed you, buddy. Yeah, thanks, my friend. Uh, Okay, you ready? Yep. All right. If you have any influence over your young friend, I suggest you exert it now. Otherwise, I'll send you both to the hell where people are skinned alive. It's that simple. Oh, dude, big trouble in little China. Thank you. I knew you'd get it. Thank you. Well, of course. I mean, that's that. That's there's a quote from that in our action movie quote Friday intro. But by the way, you know they were thinking about making that remaking that movie, and then they bailed. And then uh, you because yeah, because I don't think you could make it anymore. I think that movie would have would offend people today if you made it today, which is true of a lot of movies, by the way. You, uh, it might. Th- thank you, John, for calling in, man. I appreciate you being patient, holding. It. Tyrone, could you make Mrs. Doubtfire today? I say no. No, I don't think you can. On, on numerous levels. I don't think you could have a man dressing up that way. I mean, that's one of, I think it's Robin Williams. Uh, I mean, it's up there with certainly his like top five most financially successful. It might be number one. It was a big it, box it was office his smash. number one. At one time, it was top three grossing, highest grossing comedies in the history of Hollywood. Yeah. I don't think you could do a man dressed up as a woman like that anymore. And I also don't think even a lot of, he does a lot of different accents of different uh, ethnicities and stuff over the court. Nope. No way. No, I, no way. And just like on, on the TV side, you could not do all in the family today. Uh, no way. Yeah. The 70s, you can get a, you could not do all in the family. Archie Bunker, the Jeffersons, you could not do that anymore. And I got one that's even more, you could not, well, not even more, but but also up there with uh, the not being able to do Mrs. Doubtfire. And I will say the parodies of Mrs. Doubtfire, where they make it a horror movie on YouTube, is actually pretty funny. If you haven't seen that, I would recommend you check that out. Uh, but there's something about Mary. No way you could make that movie now. No way. I actually, like, I wonder when it comes on. I'm like, do they get complaints about this? Because it, it, it's, it's uh, there's some not just raunchy stuff. There's some, like, edgy stuff in there. And that's the most current. That's late 90s, isn't it? Like, 99? Yeah. yeah, but think about it. That's 20 years ago now. Yeah. I guess that's, that's a 20-year. Isn't that crazy thing I hold where It's a 20-year-old yeah, movie. Movies there's something I'm old, married. Yeah. But that movie, there's stuff in there that I'm like, ooh, no, that would not, that would not. Uh, <laughs> any of you are listening, if you haven't seen it or you did see it, go back and watch it again. You'll be like, oh, my gosh, what is acceptable in this country has changed a lot. Uh, Kelly from Mississippi, welcome to Freedom Hut. Uh, good evening. Merry Christmas. Good evening and Merry Christmas to you. Uh, I don't have a uh, action movie quote, but I believe the Tom Clancy novel that you're thinking of is Without Remorse. You are correct, sir. That is the movie. I mean, that is the book that I was thinking of. It came out in 93, so I was like 13 or 12 when I read that. I was young yeah, when I read yeah. that. There's some stuff in that book. I was like, whoa. It's a it's a great novel. Is it, is it? It's a very well. It's very well done. I mean, look, Tom Clancy was was the master of that genre. I don't think anybody else has ever reached quite the same. Uh, you know, he, he is the, uh, the 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 Michael Jordan, the the undisputed king of the espionage, international affairs thriller. I, at least I think so. Oh yes, uh, it'd be one that I would love to see a movie of. Oh yeah, actually, they never made a movie of that one. 
Anyway, Kelly, thank you very much, man. Merry Christmas. Appreciate the uh, the assist. And you were correct. It, it was without remorse, which was one of the first Tom Clancy novels I ever read, actually. I think it might have been the first. Uh, John in Tennessee. Yes, John. Welcome to the hut. Hello, Buck. Thank you for inviting me to the Freedom Hut. Thank you for calling. Thank, great to have you. I got a quote for you. It's an oldie but goodie. I think me and you were raised around the same time, watching the same movie. So uh, here it goes. All right. What are you, some kind of special forces guy or something? No, just a cook. Just, just a, a lowly, lowly cook. cook. Under siege. Oh, my God, we're going to die. <laughs> Absolutely. Steven, Steven Seagal's day. finest I work. By the way, when I was in New Orleans, I actually drove past a house that he rented for a while and was living in. While he did the show Lawman, side note, which was in Jefferson Jefferson County, Jefferson Parish, or whatever it's called, uh, side note, yeah. the show that came to be called Justified was initially written to be called Lawman, but because uh, Steven Seagal's show launched first, they changed the name of the other show from Lawman to Justified, which actually people like Justified. Got one more for you. Oh, you want? I you mean, it is, it is Christmas, so I'm I'm in a generous mood. Go ahead. Welcome to the party, pal. Oh yeah, of course, Bruce Willis, Die Hard. But but ah. I like at least we're staying in the action genre, John. Hey, buddy, have yeah. a great have a great Christmas with you and your family. Thanks for joining us here in the hut. Keep listening. Next week we'll be on air till Friday. Shield tie, buddy. Uh, Chris in California. Welcome. Hey, Buck, Shield Time, Merry Christmas. Shield Time, Merry Christmas to you. Okay, a couple things. First, action movie quote for you. All right, let's do it. Here we go. Hey, you want to be a farmer? Here's a couple of acres. And hit the buzzer. I don't know what's. It's actually a little punny. It's a last action hero right before he kicks somebody in the junk. Ah, I have seen Last Action Hero. That does count as an action movie, clearly. Not sure that is the most uh, timeless line from what was... Uh, I remember that that movie was trashed by the critics. I didn't think it was that bad. I mean, it's a little hokey and... Oh, it came out at the same time as Jurassic Park, so it got annihilated then. I didn't. It's the same weekend, yeah, it went up against Jurassic Park. That was not smart. Um, but and, and, Oh, you got something on uh, corporate tax rates as well, Chris. Let's talk some policy. Let's do that. I was just curious. You know, I've been listening to you for a number of years now, and you've always been a big proponent of tax cuts, but it seems like you're pretty held up with this corporate tax rate cut. Uh, maybe that's only in contrast to the individual income tax rate cuts, but you just seem to be harping on it quite a bit. Like, why are we focusing so much attention on lowering the corporate tax rate? But well, that's yeah. a good thing. It's a good thing for everybody. I'm not sure what your hang-up is. Well, my, my hang-up has been that they keep talking about it. So here's the thing. They're selling it as a middle-class tax cut, but it is not actually a middle-class, meaning that they're selling this whole tax cut as a general proposition. You go back, you listen to what they've been saying. Oh, the middle-class needs help. The middle-class needs help. We're going to cut the corporate tax rate. Now, I understand that there will be benefits for middle-class working families that come from the corporate rate, but it just, to me, from a purely political angle never mind the economics for a second i think it sends a weird message when the overall focus 
And you're saying that when the overall focus is supposed to be on middle class families, you're saying it's on middle class families, but it is actually on the corporate tax rate. You see what I'm saying? There's a disconnect there. And it also makes me a little bit. I, I just am on guard. I have been on guard for the reality of the donor class, which is very it still has a lot of leverage, very important and powerful in the Republican Party. And how they're kind of getting, you know, people say, oh, it helps everybody and corporations don't pay taxes, people to Right. Trust me, a lot of very big, wealthy corporations want a corporate tax cut. And they're going to feel the effects of that long before people who are showing up and making, uh, you know, an, an hourly wage at a, at a, you know, the local general store. So we need to stay within reality here. There's only so much quoting of Reagan and Reagan's economic advisors we can do before it's. A problem, I think, from the optics of how the tax. But, but look, I think it's good. I've just been saying I don't think it's as good as it. Because remember when I said this yesterday, Chris, we were told flat tax. We were told tax on one page. We have the House. We have the Senate. We have the presidency. Why can't we do that? This is well, not what we were promised, right? Well, we can at least agree on that. This is reconciliation. I'm sorry. Well, yes and no, because I don't recall Donald Trump specifically stating that he was going to get the office into a flat tax. I recall him saying he was going to get into office and reduce tax rates for everybody, including the corporate tax rate. But to, you made a point that I think is extremely worth looking at, and that is the politics of it, the optics of it. That is the only reason liberals ever win anything is because of the optics of it. Being a conservative is hard. It's easy to be a liberal. Yeah, so always going to be. Yeah, but, uh, but that's but optics. But optics do matter, right? And so when you they, the, they the, the average American who is who is a persuadable voter sees Republican members of Congress going on TV saying we're going to we're going to help the middle class with their tax cuts. And, yeah, they, they're doing a little bit here and there. They have the child tax credit, which is really actually the way they've structured it. It's kind of like, a, I mean, the people aren't paying any taxes. So it's not a welfare payment, but it is redistributive. It is just the government sending you a check now because you're not paying any income tax. You're just getting a check from the government. Uh, but people that are, you know, if you were paying, I mean, I saw what the brackets were a second ago in this, this latest, uh, version of the bill, you know, if you're paying 20% right now or 15%, you're not really paying a lot less. And in fact, some people that own homes will be paying more and those are middle-class working families. So when they see Republicans saying, oh, we're helping the middle class, but we're going to cut the corporate tax rate dramatically, by the way, and oh, we're going to shift around some deductions that individuals take. In order to make it budget neutral so we can get it through without it having to go through a 60 vote process, right? Because they only need 50 through reconciliation. So it doesn't look good and not looking good. You could say, oh, it doesn't matter because growth, growth, growth. Well, if the Democrats win the House or the Senate next year, guess what? It matters a lot because now you're never getting those great tax cuts for the middle class or the flat tax or anything else you said you want. So that's why, that's I, why you have to get that's why you have to get through what you can when you can, though. If, if, if we simply don't do anything because politically it might hurt us, well, that's everything. And we come out and we, we say we're going to put forward this tax bill, and the left says it's literally the end of the world. I believe that's a, a Nancy Pelosi quote. Yeah, no, I know. Well, she world. would say that about, I mean, they could cut the corporate rate from 35 to 34, and she would say that it was the end of the world. I mean, so we, we could, I think we can point. all safely agree yeah. to ignore Nancy Pelosi. And look, I, I've but never, I mean, Chris, too. Pelosi, Chris, to be fair, I've never said this is a, a, a feisty discussion about taxes. I've never said I don't want the tax cutter. I've just said I feel like it could be better. It could be better politically for sure. And I also think it could be better on an individual rate because they could cut spending, Chris. That's the reality here is that they won't touch spending, which is why they create the artificial constraint of we have to spend 
this money automatically. We're the Congress. We have to spend this money automatically. So we're only operating in this little subset of spending, and we're going to shift it around that way and give you a tax cut there. But the reality is that most of the money is on autopilot. And that's why we have all these budgetary constraints, right? So they can't, are they going to get 60 votes to cut spending? If they're not going to get 60 votes to cut spending, then they can't cut the spending. They have to work within the constraints. You need 60 votes to raise spending. You do not need 60 votes to cut spending. That's what I'm I'm saying to you. They they will not cut. cut They will not, they're not dealing with the other side of the balloon here. We're just squeezing one side of the balloon. We're not talking about the other side of the balloon, which is spending. We're spending too much money, Chris, as a country. So telling us all how great this tax cut is is all well and good, but at some point, the music's going to stop. We are heading towards that, and in the meantime, corporations get their cut. I mean, we'll see. Look, I would love to, you know, call me back in, uh, well, call anytime, you're welcome, but call me back in like a year and tell me, has this is this better for you, or do you feel like you're getting, are, are your wages going up, or I don't know where you work or what you do, but I think a, well, a lot of... Ask you this. Chris, no, I, I, I actually, I, I would love to continue with it, but I, we have literally seven phone calls or seven lines that are all going at once, so I got I to gotta move on. Uh, and in Virginia, welcome. Good evening, Mr. Sexton. Good evening, Miss Ann. Um, blazing Saddles, try making that again. I don't remember. Wait, Tyrone, what, what are you saying about this one? Blazing Saddles, you were talking about movies. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I know, but Ty, Ty wants to weigh in. I don't remember that movie very well. It's very good. It's, it's There's a lot of uh, racist things, but because the black person wins in the end, I think they allow it to happen. Oh, okay, I don't remember the movie at all. Yeah, I saw it, I was like... They can't say a certain young. word that begins with an N. I think they let them say it, as uh, long as the black guy's going to win. Uh, <laughs> Ty, Ty, Tyrone is okay, waiting on this one and I, you're, my- you're kind of wait on hold I'm sorry we have to go into a break here or else we're going to blow through our station break and we can't do that run into a break we'll be right back we've got more having talked about Russia collusion FBI we will do that stay with me look one of the great things that Trump accomplished his first year as we know is appointing Neil Gorsuch to the Supreme Court and he's got a lot of other excellent constitutionalists and conservative uh conservative minds that are up on the bench now and and in process of putting more. But I should note that, look, we're having a little fun. It's a Friday. All right. We're trying to loosen it up for the holidays a little bit. One of Trump's nominees to the circuit court, this would be the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia. He did not have the best day ever. He did not have a stellar performance when asked by a Republican. Remember, it was a Republican asking the questions on the Judiciary Committee and the Republican is trying to figure out, you know, uh, Senator John Kennedy is trying to figure out, OK, does this guy uh, Peterson, uh, does he know the stuff you'd want somebody to know if they're going to be a federal judge, which is a thing that matters? And this went viral today. So I'll let you listen to it. It's enjoy. You can just raise your hand on this one, if you will, to save a little time. Have any of you not tried a case to verdict? Peterson was the only one of, I think, five that raised the hand there. Um, now we just have you ever tried a jury Peterson. trial? I have not. Civil? No. Criminal? No. Bench? No. State or federal court? <laughs> I have not. Okay. Have you ever taken a deposition? I was involved in taking depositions when I was associate uh, mm-hmm. at Wiley Ryan when I uh, first came out of law school. Um, but that that was. Uh, you ever how many how many depositions? I would um, 
I'd be struggling to to, to remember. Uh, less than ten. Yes. Oh yeah. Less than five. <laughs> less than ten. Probably somewhere in that range. Have you ever tried to take a three range? a deposition by yourself? Uh, I believe no. Okay. Uh, have you ever argued a motion in state court? I have not. Have you ever argued a motion in federal court? No. Uh, when's the last time you read the federal rules of civil procedure? Uh, the federal rules of civil procedure, um, I have, in my current position, I obviously don't need to stay as, um, um, I mean, by the way, he had asked some more specific and pointed legal questions to which the answers were, no, I don't know, I don't have it for you right now. I mean, it, it was a pretty brutal session there. I mean, this would be the equivalent of me, I'm just going to say, me sitting there up for some post at NASA, and they're like, so what are your credentials? Like, well, I I got like a C- minus in trigonometry, and... Yeah, <laughs> this guy was not blowing anyone's uh, socks off with his answers to these legal questions. And it just went viral today. It was kind of funny. Have you ever tried a case in court? No. Have you done this? No. Have you done that? No. This guy's going to be a federal judge, everybody. I look, you know, they can't all be winners. They can't all be Gorsuch's. So this one was not. Uh, but it'll all be okay. Russia, Russia, Russia. Got that coming up. FBI is, well, it was in Hillary's pocket. We'll talk about it. Stay with me. We're going to rebuild the FBI. It'll be bigger and better than ever. But it is very sad when you look at those documents and how they've done that is really, really disgraceful. And you have a lot of very angry people that are seeing it. It's a very sad thing to watch. I will tell you that. And I'm going today on behalf of the FBI their new building and, and you know but when i when everybody not me when everybody the level of anger at what they've been witnessing with respect to the fbi is certainly very sad trump calling out the fbi at least the part of the fbi that has been involved those individuals at the bureau who have had a hand in the russia collusion investigation the Mueller probe and all of that stuff it was a very bad week for the Mueller probe, for anybody who is being honest about what's out there and what we found out. And increasingly, I think it's going to be difficult uh, for the left to continue this uh, unless they have some real new information they can bring to light. And I don't believe they do, or because uh, if they did, we would already know. But I also wanted to say that it, isn't it interesting this entire Russia-Trump collusion narrative is based on, and people in the press and members of government and many Americans believe it to be true. It hasn't yet been proven, but they believe it to be true. It would require an international conspiracy to throw an election involving Russian secret intelligence and cyber hacking, and, and somehow they've kept the conspiracy quiet up to this point they'll believe that but they don't believe they they won't believe it, it is a conspiracy that is completely beyond the pale when you say well hold on a second maybe some pro hillary doj and fbi officials saw an opening to investigate 
the Trump campaign and to create problems for the Trump campaign. And they went they went for it and they had the power to do it and they did it. Why is that crazy? What about that doesn't add up? You know, you think about this. You'll get people that'll look at you if, if you bring this up with them like you're crazy because you don't believe that the Kremlin was working with Trump to beat Hillary, which even if Trump wanted to do that, how that would work is think about the risk reward there, too. All right, we're going back to basics here. Trump is going to collude with Russia to throw an election that a multi-billion dollar U.S. media complex can't figure out how to, you know, make it go one way or the other. Come on. It just doesn't make any sense. But what we're seeing now with Strzok and Lisa Page and McCabe and all these other senior DOJ officials and FBI officials, and that's tough, right? FBI is within the DOJ, so it can kind of use them somewhat interchangeably, is that there were people who hated Trump. I mean, really hated him. And the Democrats are scrambling right now for a way to explain this to fair-minded Americans, right? I mean, people that are looking at this and saying to themselves, well, hold on a second. We're supposed to believe that this just all happened, that this is some big coincidence, that you had the person who was exonerating Hillary. And as we know now, they just bailed Hillary out, okay? Hillary broke the law. Hillary's a federal, should be a, a federal convict, should be legitimately. That's not an overstatement. That's now would she have gone to prison? She probably would have taken a plea deal. And, you know, it would, it would have been they would have let it scale down to a misdemeanor, I would guess. But anybody who's not Hillary Clinton who did what she did would be facing charges of some kind. Full stop. OK, and that's just any discussion otherwise is is. Nonsense. So they bailed Hillary out and somebody who was. At, at the helm, all right, who's basically driving the car to bail out Hillary, also was involved in the Mueller probe and also talked about an insurance policy in case Trump won. That's a weird thing to say, right? Weird thing to say if you're in the acting FBI director's office, for sure. Right? Very, very strange. And as I've been saying to you, you have to remember the full context here. These are people who thought they'd be working for Hillary. They all want to get millions of dollars for their memoirs, probably after after the Hillary administration's done. They they had a very clear uh, motive for trying to help Hillary and then even to perhaps undo the Trump presidency afterwards. At least for spite, for vengeance, if not for some personal gain. And there's no good response to this. They say, oh, Bernie, they said mean things about Bernie Sanders, too. Yeah, but there's not a there, there's not all the other stuff with Bernie Sanders. That's that's irrelevant. This only matters in the context of an endless and completely open investigation that was started based on nonsense. And, oh, we find out the people who started it also happen to hate Trump, that they hate other people doesn't matter because they didn't start huge investigations of those other politicians. But it's just distraction from the media. It's look at the shiny object over here. Don't get close to the truth. Don't believe what you already know. Believe us. Fake news. We'll tell you the truth. You have Democrats actually going after Rod Rosenstein now. I mean, this is this is astonishing. You got you got to hear some of this. That the Department of Justice itself 
not Mueller, not his team, but the Department of Justice, the formal public affairs channel, had actually orchestrated this dump of text messages that were revealed in the course of an ongoing Department of Justice investigation. That strikes me as very odd that there are people in the Department of Justice who apparently are cooperating with this effort to undermine the integrity and the strength of the special counsel investigation is an irrelevant distraction. What you have there is a Democrat member of Congress who's now claiming that there are basically deep state pro-Trump elements at the FBI. Now, we've been hearing all along that. Go ahead, Tyrone. That particular uh, Democrat was the one who just made up a crazy number for the number of mass shootings. There's been 900 shootings with 10 or more people this year, according to that was the same guy. Oh, okay. Last week. So there we go. The source. But you know, this is what you're hearing. Oh, you know, how could they release these texts? They were on government. Pro- they're, they're using government property as in their phones, their devices. Those are official devices. Those are official records. These senior FBI people must think they're really untouchable to be using official records and talking all kinds of stuff about the president or soon to be president. Not smart, by the way. Look, I worked in the federal government. I never would have dreamed of sending an email or a text message on government property that was like the commander in chief is is an idiot, a moron, or you know whatever all the stuff that was being said. It's just you know because you never know when that stuff's going to get called into an investigation. We all this is all one hundred and one. This is not surprising at all. But others in the media have been trying this too. Oh, I feel bad for the FBI agents whose privacy has been violated here. No one set up a camera in their bedroom. This is on their official work, computers, smartphones, whatever it may be. And it's relevant. And, you know, the FBI, you know, you don't get to play that game when the FBI wants your records. Let me have it be known. If they're doing an investigation and they think that whatever you've got is relevant, it's theirs. They got to play by the same rules, folks. They've got to play by the same rules. And you can just tell there's a desperation right now. Oh, yeah, as I said, the Bernie Sanders thing, the, there are text messages about other politicians. Irrelevant. That doesn't mean anything. Because we're working backwards from there's this huge, massive investigation that never should have been started. And the juxtaposition of the Hillary case versus the Hillary investigation versus the Trump investigation is just appalling in how clear the politicization is. And, you know, now you got Adam Schiff, who's now whining about, oh, they might try to shut this down. Yeah, because they, they want to continue this forever. This is the hashtag resistance. This is it. Russia collusion nonsense. That's what they're trying to go for here. That's what they think will be the difference maker. It might not stop the administration, but it'll slow it down enough to make it ineffective. They want to make sure that Trump can make America great again. That's what the investigation is all about. I got to find any Russian collusion. Anyway, it's uh, oh, but Schiff here is telling us all that. Well, I'll let him say it. this is the Democrat who, who people believe is also the source of a lot of interesting information for the press that is anti-Trump that is not supposed to be getting out there. Uh, when you look at the context of the allegations that the DOJ inspector general is investigating, they were very selective in what they released. There were multiple reports last year that the FBI was heavily predisposed against Hillary Clinton uh, and in favor of Donald Trump. 
If there are text messages that run in the other direction, why have they not also been released? Because uh, the ones that have been released are very anti-Trump. The ones that they've released are all, to the degree they bear at all, or as far as I can tell, are anti-Trump. Um, does that mean they're not investigating the, the same allegation running in the opposite direction? What's the allegation in the opposite direction? What Democrat committee member Schiff is saying doesn't make any sense. What's he saying? That, that people... That there are anti anti Hillary people started the Russia investigation against Trump. It's irrelevant. Hillary got bailed out. Hillary got got the the sweet deal. Trump's the one that's getting all his people dragged through the mud and the nonsense of this Mueller probe, which is fetid, by the way. It is putrid, rotten to the core. But well, we're gonna find anti Hillary texts. I mean, they don't even have coherent arguments. If they found some FBI, first of all, the the people that are at the top of these investigations, McCabe, Mueller, Comey, Strzok, all Hillary partisans. What's her name? The one who was the uh, acting attorney general uh, at the DOJ. I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but you know what I'm talking about? Remember, she was the one that wouldn't do the job with the the travel ban. You know what I mean? I'm forgetting her name. Sally Yates. Sally Yates. There we go. These are all Hillary partisans, and they're all the ones that have their fingerprints all over the email investigation, the Russia collusion, the Mueller probe. Hillary partisans. So he's going, why, why, when are we going to see the anti-Hillary text? You're not going to see the anti-Hillary text, you idiot, because they're all Hillary partisans. So that's why they don't have anti-Hillary texts. You know, figure it out. The guy's an idiot. But, it, I mean, he doesn't have a good argument to make. That's, that's a part of this, too. Maybe he's not dumb. He just has nothing else to say, because what's he going to say? People are figuring this out. You're really going to tell me this is a coincidence? You really? I mean, I was on Fox News. I was getting yelled over earlier in the week by somebody who doesn't know anything, who was trying to tell me that, well, the Russia collusion's already been proven because of the meeting with Donald Trump Jr. And, and I'm like, we're back to that now? That's pathetic. And also, yeah, he kept saying Wikipedia instead of WikiLeaks. Pretty different things, by the way. Colluding with Wikipedia wouldn't get you very far unless you had I- an interest in random things and knowledge. Uh, but, you know, didn't even have an argument to make. I- I'm, I'm here looking at Fusion GPS. You have a Fusion GPS researcher married to a top Mueller probe guy who got demoted from the Mueller probe because he was trying to work Fusion GPS stuff into what the FBI was doing. This is a coincidence? Come on. This stuff is now, this is now bright red neon signs. Uh, and the media is in a bit of a panic mode. The, the Christmas holiday can't come soon enough for most of the mainstream because they need to regroup after this. This week has been terrible for them. I mean, the Republicans have been more focused on tax reform, but this has been a very, very damaging few days, damaging series of news cycles for the whole Russia collusion thing. And Trump knows it. Trump was uh, smacking them around today on that one. All right, 844-900-2825. We'll take some calls. We'll be right back. Welcome back, team. Lines lit. Let's get to it. John in New York. Welcome, sir. Hello, Buck. I got a, a little bit of dialogue from a, a mid-1950s movie. Okay, well, I'll give it a shot. 50s is old, but let's go for it. Okay. Uh, Stark, you've lived too long. What about you, gunfighter? But I know it. 
I have no idea. What is that? Uh, that was uh, Alan Ladd was a star, and the movie was Shane, which is like uh, it's a Western, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a really good one. If you, if you ever get a chance to I, see it. I read the book, uh, the novel. I, I Yeah, I, I'll check it out. I mean, I will say, Western's action movie, it's it's borderline for me. It's, it's one of Jack Palance's uh, early uh, screw. Uh, he's in it, Jack Palance, plays a, a gunfighter. Uh, the guy Edgar, Edgar Buchanan from Petticoat Junction has a small part. The one that played the secretary on Beverly, uh, Beverly Hillbillies, Nancy Culp is in it in a small part. All right, uh, Elijah I'll, Cook I'll put it on the list. I'll put it on the list. John, have a very merry Christmas, and thank you for calling her from New York. Robert in Alabama, what do you got for me, sir? How are you doing today? Hey, I'm good. Hey, speaking of Shane, did you watch the last um, uh, Wolverine movie? I did see Logan, right? It was yeah, I mean, that's basically Shane. Oh, yeah. It was, was very violent, I will say. There was like a 13-year-old girl with, with crazy claws lopping dudes' heads off left and right. Well, yeah. they probably deserved it. <laughs> hey, no, okay. I, 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 I like your attitude, Robert. What do you got? Question for you, and this is not a quote, but just a theoretical question. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Not only is it a Christmas movie, it features some Christmas dialogue and takes place on, I believe, on Christmas Eve, right? It actually has him write on a guy's chest, ho, 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 now I have a machine gun too. A clear reference to Santa Claus. It is, in fact, a Christmas movie. I don't even think this is one we have to turn over to the judges. Well, you know, if you actually, if you think about it, could Die Hard be a remake of It's a Wonderful Life? Because in A Wonderful Life, there's family troubles, and a third party reunites the family. I mean, isn't that just the basis of Die Hard? I think we're stretching here a little bit, but but I, I, I like the, the effort. It's to stretch. <laughs> I like the effort, man. Robert Shields, hi, buddy. Thank you for calling in, and have a Merry Christmas. Lines little. Everyone likes to call in on Fridays. I love it. Uh, Chris, California. Welcome. Max, good to talk to you. You too. Um, multi-pass. Uh, Lilu Dallas multi-pass, the fifth element? Uh, yeah, that's it, yeah. I will just put out there that you just said one word, and I was able to name the movie. Amy is freaking out over there. She's like, that's incredible. I know, Amy. I am, it's a gift. It's hard well, to control. It's a gift. Uh, your your screener remembered the movie called The Cooler, yes? Uh, the The Cooler? I don't know that one. It's a William H. Macy movie where he plays a uh, bad luck Joe who stays in a casino all the time. And if there's too much luck going on, he's called in by uh, Alec Baldwin to go hang around the people and make them lose. Okay. And don't, uh, I don't know that one. He's sort of like a bad luck shill. And uh, it, it made me think of the uh, shooting in uh, in Las Vegas. No. And how, and how it would be relatively inexpensive for a casino to keep a guy around who was, you know, a loner who had guns and throw him in wherever there would be a possibility of an actual. Uh, a, no, we're done. Uh, we're done. This has gotten too weird. He's done. What What the heck was he talking about? That movie was literally about if the guy came by, you would have bad luck. So if you're in a casino and you got a, a hot streak at the craps table, he'd come stand next to you and all of a sudden you crap out. I don't know where he, how he got to where he got. 
I was trying to let him get to a conclusion because it was I was trying to give him the benefit of not just rambling into into. We went off that that train was way off the rails. That train, that train was, you know, running over huts in the village and livestock was fleeing and it was bad. <laughs> that train, that train got way loose. Sorry about that, everybody. It's going to happen sometimes. Um, anyway, all right. Uh, we got to talk about some of the latest sexual harassment stuff. Um, do we? How long is it? <laughs> we might talk about, uh, well, do we have any updates on it, Tyrone? We'll, uh, it's okay. It's too, that's too long. We'll, we'll get to it in a few minutes. So we have, some th- we have some things to discuss. I believe the first high-profile case of a woman getting in trouble for sexual harassment has happened now, right? A, a lady stepped down from a... Uh, what was this? Uh, yeah, Democrat woman accused of sexual harassment. This is on. Let's talk about this. New sec. Is, uh, this is in Kansas. We've got some new sexual harassment stories to discuss together. Um, there's a lot of them today. I don't know. We have time to get to all of them. We'll get to some of them next week. We we'll get into more of the holiday cheer stuff. Don't worry. Play some Christmas music and all that. Today we're just going to uh, talk about the news and some other things. Sexual harassment stories coming up after the break. You'll want to hear them. Uh, here's a story that you won't see the media spend a lot of time on. You've got some of the a couple of the women that were ma- that were considering making sexual misconduct allegations against Donald Trump in the final months of the 2016 presidential race had their lawyer, California, uh, California lawyer Lisa Bloom making efforts to get them a whole lot of money, including one woman being offered as much as $750,000. Now, that leaves a whole lot of unanswered questions, doesn't it? I should note that any time in recent history, a Republican has been accused, Donald Trump most specifically, has been accused of any kind of sexual misconduct and someone raised the possibility of anyone coming out and saying this, not just for political reasons, but also for payment, that has been slapped down right away. That's a, a, that's a slander, completely untrue, would never happen. Women need to be believed. No woman would ever do that. Well, now we have a report that two women were very close to doing that. Getting paid to say that Donald Trump... Now, you could say they, what they were going to... They were going to tell the truth, but I should note, whether you believe that or not, that for an encounter that may have been in a gray area where Trump thought that he had full consent to touch or grab or whatever it may have been, and a woman did not feel that way, the economic incentive to add to the story is certainly there, right? The economic incentive to make it sound even worse, you're talking about $750,000? Substantial. If you were giving testimony in a court and somebody said, well, they're, you know, are you are you swear to tell the whole truth? Nothing but the truth. Did someone pay you 750 grand to say this? And you said, yes, that would look bad. That would look bad. So I would just note that we've gotten used to brushing all that aside right away out of hand. Oh, no, no, no woman would ever level allegations against Donald Trump, against the president of, of sexual misconduct. Because somebody paid them oh, to say such a thing is a disgrace. Except it looks like it was, if not true, very close to being true. 
Um, thehill.com broke the story today, and well done in doing so. So I think that that's noteworthy. A couple of other things here, because there's a lot of this sexual harassment stuff, sexual mis- I think sexual misconduct is probably a better term because it's more all-inclusive, although we'll talk about what should be included and what shouldn't. Matt Damon got in some trouble with that. I mentioned this before. There is a woman who is the first high-profile female politician, or maybe she's not high-profile, but Kansas Democrat Andrea Ramsey has been accused of sexual harassment and is dropping out of a congressional race, U.S. House race. So now you have a woman who, it is said, was harassing and retaliated against a male subordinate who rejected her advances. This is still overwhelmingly going to be a problem where men are the aggressors, but I did think it was noteworthy that we did have one case here uh, that has become a, something of a national news story where a woman will no longer run for Congress because she it's a power dynamic thing, right? Uh, if a woman's in a place where she holds a man's job in her hands, uh, that could influence the you know, the, the, that, and that would influence the sexual dynamic uh, very strongly. And a man could feel coerced, not fit, but it's different, not physically coerced. We're not talking about the criminal kind of sexual coercion, but professional coercion, sexual harassment, professional coercion, that absolutely can and, and has happened. So as we see from this story, just wanted to put that in there. And then we get into the Matt Damon thing, <laughs> which I, I mean, I've always thought Matt Damon was very overrated. I know some of you have already written to me in the past and said you disagree with me on that. That's fine. I, I don't know why the guy... I feel like I could walk through any mall in America and find a better guy to play a lot of roles than Matt Damon. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I just like to hate on Matt Damon for some reason, for a lot of reasons. Matt Damon sat down for an interview with Variety or one of these, was it Variety? Yeah, one of these publications. And he said a lot of things. And they were asking him kind of, do you believe, do you not believe about individual cases? And I don't really, I don't have, you know, that's, he can say what he wants to say about that, right? He can say, I do believe or don't believe. And that's on him. But he also tried to make a point about how we are in this habit right now of, and I've been warning you about this for weeks now, those of you who listen to the show know, where anything that is in the sexual harassment category is spoken about in the same general vein, same general context as grotesque predatory criminal stuff. Because of this movement right now, the Me Too, Women Are To Be Believed, No More Sexual Harassment movement that's going on in the country. And that's going to create problems. I think it already is creating. We're, we're seeing it happening right now. It's beginning to be an issue. I mentioned Matt Lauer yesterday, again, because I like to hate on Matt Lauer. I'm usually a very nice and generous person, especially about other people, but there's some people that need to be cut down a few sizes. Uh, but Matt Lauer I just had a piece come out where a woman uh, who was 24 had a consensual affair with him, right? Affairs are bad, shouldn't do it, but she did it. And she this whole long story about how he was the power dynamic and she was so taken in by him and he was so compelling and everything else. It's like, look, you know, you got involved with a married guy and it didn't end well and you were emotionally traumatized by it, but that's not that's not a Weinstein-like situation. That's just a you made a bad choice and Matt Lauer's a creep situation, but that's not the same thing. 
there was no force. There were no threats. There was no coercion. And people are speaking about it like, okay, well, this is all very similar. And we need to be very clear. The biggest distinction is, are we talking civil or criminal? Right? Civil is go out on a date with me or you're fired. That person should, the person who does that should be fired and they should be sued for a lot of money. Right? What? The criminal side would be the Weinstein of come back to my hotel room to talk about the role. And then Weinstein like grabs and doesn't take no for an answer and is molesting and all that stuff. But this, this is a distinction in law that should also be reflected in our discussions about all this. Matt Damon in this interview was trying to say this, trying to make that point, of course, not as precisely or eloquently as I just have. He's Matt Damon. But. People were piling on. I mean, they are all over Matt Damon on this one. Oh, how could you? And and just goes to show that the political winds are blowing so strongly behind this whole movement right now that anyone who stands up, even for a moment, says, hold on a second. Maybe this one we should we should think a little bit more about or maybe we shouldn't rush to judgment on every case as though they're all the same case. That person's now part of the problem. This is what's at issue with movements. Movements rely on the mentality of a mob. Now, movements can be good, but movements can also be bad. And good movements can turn bad quickly because the mentality of a group, the psychology of a mass is different and has different moral tendencies and traits than that of an individual. And that's my concern right now as all this is and has been my concern as all this is happening. So Matt Damon just got on the hot seat for this one. Uh, And then there's ESPN. And there's a whole mess over there. MSNBC with sports, also known as ESPN, is having some trouble. And I don't know that much about it because I'm focused on some of the other things here. Tyrone does know about it. Tyrone, what the heck is going on at ESPN? There's people, there's a lot of stuff going on. Well, it was um, Adrian Lawrence, a former uh, ESPN staffer. She was on SportsCenter, different shows. Went to the Boston Globe. And told her story, and from that, other people sort of were asked about the culture there at ESPN. And this particular culture isn't just sexual harassment like some of the other places. It's sort of also a boys' club, I think would be the best way to describe it. And while ESPN has made a lot of strides compared, you know, as far as a lot of, they made a lot of strides with women being, you know, fr- you know front and center. They, they still have a ways to go if you believe what's come out in the Boston Globe article. So what, what, was, in, what was some of what's in the article? Well, well, first, let's take the boys club part of it. There was a woman, uh, Sarah Walsh, who actually was a, a big fan of, and she was having, her and her husband were having a lot of trouble having a baby, um, multiple miscarriages. And it was kind of, she kind of was told, according to other people, because she refused to speak on it, but she is kind of through her social media, she had came to work the day she had a miscarriage and was literally bleeding on set in Alabama for college game day because she's not supposed to miss work, but men could miss work for much less. So if you're a woman there, you're asked to do things that men, at least that's what the story says and people have corroborated, you're asked to do things that men aren't asked to do. Isn't it interesting that, assuming that that is an accurate reflection of the culture there, that that is apparently what's going on at ESPN in terms of male-female relations. And meanwhile, ESPN is like very progressive, left-wing, anti-gun, all that stuff. Yes, that, but that, 
that's more complicated. That's a larger <laughs> thing. That's more complicated. Yeah, no, I'm just saying, that, though. You got a lot of liberals over at ESPN for a place that's do, a boys' But club. I think you have a lot of city people, and cities tend to be more liberal. They cover teams locally. They end up ESPN nationally, and they take their politics with them. But wasn't, isn't there also a, a, a high, like an anchor and a former employee, and there's text messages? Well, that's the, that's, the, that's the sexual harassment part. Adrian Lawrence claims that John Bukaraj, who's been there for a long time, and he's, I think he's a solid guy, he claimed, she claimed that he sexually harassed her. He came out and said, listen, if she thought that, I'm sorry. I thought we were friends. But he went a step further. He went to his bosses when those allegations came out and showed his bosses all the text messages. And they have since published those text messages. And I read them. And it sounds like Adrian Lawrence, this is the first time because I've actually always side. I tend to side with the women because I think they have a lot to lose when they come forward on this one. I have to side with them with the man. She said he said things like corner long legs. Well, they went to dinner together and he was talking about adjusting the seat in the car for her long legs. So that's not him really referring to her legs in a. See, this it is, is uh, this we, we this is the beginning. This is why I want to ask you about it because I've been worried that this is where we're heading. Now people are seeing this as it's leverage. It's a way to get a payday. You know, little things are going to be the people going to try to magnify them for their own purposes, for their own advancement. Right, and I will say most of the current ESPN staffers have been supportive of her. She's no longer there, and think that they need to make changes. But all of them have said ESPN is better with this particular issue than other workplaces. So they're saying maybe her complaints with this individual are true, but compared to other places they work, this place is awesome. And looking at the text messages, I just don't see a case. He tried to show her around the area. For people that don't know, you go to Bristol, Connecticut. That is not a a metro. You know, is that not, not a diverse urban metropolitan n- ecosystem? No. So if you and you kind of have to move there, and you're moving over again from Boston, from Miami, from Colorado, different cities where you get picked up. Now you you kind of get to the big time. The big time is the middle of nowhere. He offered to show her around. She accepted. She said, "Hey." When are you available? Hey, I'm only on the campus because they set up a whole campus for the staff. They went out to different dinners. It just seems like maybe he said something out of line along the way. But it seems like by and large, this was a friendship where he may have thought he could say something and maybe she was offended. But he definitely was not a predator who had power over her. Yeah, well, the power dynamic is also very important. You know, peer to peer relationships in the workplace should be treated very differently then when somebody has power over your future, your firing or hiring or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, before we run into a break here, Tyrone, uh, the Russell Simmons thing. I saw three accusers. Was the, four. Was four accusers. Four accusers now. Uh, kind of saying out, flat out rape. So, I mean, he, he's he's like a billionaire, right? Or close to it. Close I mean, he's, to it. he's an incredibly wealthy hip hop empresario. And, and really important to the black community in that a lot of the comedians that we know, Martin Lawrence, Chris Tucker, Kevin Hart, came with Def Comedy Jam, which he created, and without him, there's no them. So he's really important, and and not to mention everything like with the music, Run DMC, LL Cool J, on and on and on. He's flat out denied. He's the first person in one of these major cases where came out and flat out said, nope, no way, didn't happen, I didn't do it. But it's a lie detector test, right? Yep, and it's no longer Def Comedy Jam, though. It's now, like, you know, it's no longer Russell Simmons' Def Comedy Jam. It's just... Def Jam Comedy.
Oh, so they already already had to. It's the Kevin Spacey thing now, where they you know they erased it. They literally erased his face from a movie in post production. Right. So, but yes, and and now they're saying, oh well, him bettering himself now. He does a lot of yoga and meditation. This is him running away from his past. When he's saying, no, I'm just trying to live longer. So it's like everything he does now is under a tremendous amount of scrutiny. But he is flat out denied. He's the first person to come out this strongly in a denial. Okay, so this is here we are. You're getting minor things that are being inflated in the case of this ESPN situation, and we got to keep an eye out for that. And you also have now the first really high-profile case of somebody who's like, nope, this is, a, this is not me, right? That's what he said. This is a not-me situation instead of a you know, me-too is what the, uh, the accusers have been saying. All right, we have to run to a break, team. We'll be uh, back. We'll take your calls. Then we've got immigration in the next hour. We'll talk about that. Emily Zanotti joining some Team Buck Speaks, and I'm going to tell you about sharks and killer whales because that'll be fun. Stay with me. Chef, Chef Mario Batali uh, has gotten in, into, into hot water for some sexual harassment stuff, and he sent out an email. I just saw this, or somebody on his behalf sent out an email, and it says, as many of you know, this week there's been some news coverage about my past behavior. I made many mistakes. I'm very sorry. I will work every day to regain your trust. And then in the same note, P.S., in case you're searching for a holiday-inspired breakfast, these pizza dough cinnamon rolls are a fan favorite. It's like, no, no. The apology is separate from the pizza dough cinnamon roll holiday thing. <laughs> you don't put them together, Chef Batali. Whoever his PR, crisis PR firm is, he should fire them. That's not how you do this. It's like, you know. Sorry about all of my misbehavior in the past, but let's uh, talk about a spices. <laughs> like, no, Chef Patali, that is not how you do this. Oh, my. Oh, my. Um, all right. Robert in Mississippi, what do you got for me? Yes, sir. How are you, Mr. Sexton? I'm good, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing outstanding, my fellow brother at arms. I retired last year on the USCBs. Oh, well, thank you for your service, sir. Thank you, sir. My quote, I'm not a big movie person. I own one movie and one movie only my attention span. It's not that long. But uh, Bridge Over the River Quad. <laughs> good guess, though, right? What's that? I said it was a good guess. Yes. Oh, I wanted to mention the Bosnia story you told a couple of weeks ago. Which one? The Bosnia story about the orphans. Oh, I don't remember. What am I talking about? Was that the wrong... Anyway, I thought you had mentioned... No, that was uh, somebody else. That wasn't me. <laughs> that was a different I, host. My bad. Anyway, okay. <laughs> Go my ahead. favorite movie, huh? Yep. Uh, what we have here is a case of show and tell. You tell me everything, but you show me nothing. Heat? I don't know. What is it? <laughs> True Romance, Christian Slater. All right. Legit, legit action movie, and you got me. Yes. All right, yes. sir. You have outfoxed the Sexton tonight, but next time I will get you. Thank you so much for calling in, Robert. Merry Christmas and Shields High. Got a couple of uh, calls that uh, we're, I'm sorry, a couple of guests, rather. We're going to get you here in a few moments. Uh, we have someone from the, uh, Jessica Vaughn from the Center for Immigration Studies talking about immigration, year in review, and also what we can look forward to next year with the Trump administration. So stay with me for that and more. Terrorists have struck in the streets and subways of New York City twice 
in a few months. Both terrorists came to our country through the dysfunctional immigration system that we are correcting and rapidly. And one came through chain migration, chain migration, the other visa lottery. They have a lottery. You pick people. Do you think the country's given us their best people? No. What kind of a system is that? They come in by a lottery. They give us their worst people. They put them in a bin. But in his hand, when he's picking them, is the really the worst of the worst. Congratulations. You're going to the United States. Okay. What a system. Lottery system. We're calling for Congress to end chain migration and to end the visa lottery system and replace it with a merit-based system of immigration. That was President Trump earlier today talking about where he stands on immigration. Nothing's really happened on it in 2017. In fact, there's been some reporting that there are more illegals now at the border than in previous quarters or more have been captured. What is going on here? What can we expect in or can we at least hope for in 2018? We have Jessica Vaughn with us now. She is director of policy studies at the Center for Immigration Studies. Jessica, thanks for making the time. Glad to be with you. All right. First, before I get into the absolute latest news here, I just want to know, uh, what could we say about the Trump administration on immigration year one? You know, the, the, the good, the bad and the meh. Well, I, uh, they've accomplished a lot, really, and, and clearly immigration has been one of the most important issues that this administration wants to tackle, and they have a lot of cleanup to do after eight years of the Obama administration not only dismantling Im- immigration enforcement, but also uh, opening up and creating programs that, that were uh, you know, illegal for them to create, because only Congress can do that. So they're doing a lot of cleanup, but... Interior enforcement is up um, almost 40% over the Obama administration. Uh, We saw an initial drop, historic lows of apprehensions at the border, but the the courts have imposed a catch-and-release policy for unaccompanied minors and families who come from Central America, so their hands are kind of tied there. But they've also cleaned up the legal system by reinstituting programs to correct fraud. They are holding, you know, they're arresting people for crimes like identity fraud and immigration fraud that were ignored by the Obama administration. So they're returning integrity to our immigration system and tightening up loopholes as they find them. But really, the president can't do it all by himself. There are things that Congress has to do. And those are the things like uh, ending chain migration, um, it's str- doing something about sanctuary cities, um, ending the visa lottery, and a number of other areas like you know um, superseding the courts on this issue of catch and release, fixing our asylum system that's so uh, abused by people now and, and by immigration lawyers. So it, it really has to be a team effort, and I, I think the president has made really great progress. He set out an agenda. He's starting to accomplish things. But at a certain point, he needs resources from Congress and also a few tweaks to the law from Congress. And, of course, only Congress, as I said, can do the major reforms to our legal immigration system so that our immigration system works 
for Americans and, and for the United States of America, not just for the people who want to come here. Jessica, what can you tell me about this piece in the Washington Examiner uh, that says Trump administration rolls out global campaign to combat those who overstay their visas in the U.S.? Well, this is a huge problem. In the last couple of years, the Department of Homeland Security has estimated that more than half a million people who came in on visitor visas or other types of temporary non-immigrant visas did not leave when it was time for them to do so. And they've stayed on and um, make up a very large share of the illegal immigrant population in the United States. And part of it is because there has been so little interior enforcement in the country, so they don't fear getting caught or fear getting deported. But the other part of it is that the State Department has had, uh, has been, you know, really too lenient in who qualifies for these visas to come here. So they're approaching it from both angles to try to address this problem. Um, But, you know, it's something that the wall won't fix. Speaking of a wall, we had Kirsten Nielsen uh, just earlier this week say the following. Uh, We're going to have a wall. We're going to have border security and we're going to protect the homeland. What did the president tell you when he got the job? What did he say for you? Uh, Build a wall. (laughs) Protect our country. Right. Yeah. And support the men and women. And you see the reality of this wall and how effective it is. Does it bother you when people in Washington are playing politics when it comes to the implementation of the technology needed to be successful? Of course it does, because this is key to our security of our our homeland. I also find it very confusing, because as you know, in 2006, we had a bill, the Secure Fence Act, that was largely bipartisan that would have done just this. So it is politics. It's easy for folks in Washington to talk about the benefits of a wall, not a wall. But they're not working here. They're not facing the threats that the folks here are facing every day. All right, Jessica, that's the DHS, newly installed DHS chief, saying that there's going to be a wall. We need a wall. Wall's great. But are we actually going to get a wall? If all I want for Christmas is a border wall, am I going to be happy next year? Um, you will be if Congress does its job and passes a spending bill like they're supposed to do every year. <laughs> With the resources that the president has asked for to get this done, um, Secretary Nielsen is right. Congress asked for this back in 2006, and here, 11 years later, it's still not finished, and we need it now more than ever because of the continued influx of people trying to get here over our southwest border, but also because of the drugs and other uh, illicit smuggling that is going on over the border. Um, it's so, you know, most of the illegal drugs that come into this country come over the border. So that's the other thing that the wall would help address. So, but, you know, again... Um, so you're saying it's right, Congress, though. There's only so much. It sounds like, from what I'm gathering here, Jessica, that the, the Trump administration, the executive branch, has been good on immigration this year, actually. That Trump has been keeping promises to the degree that it's in his power to but Congress needs to get its button gear. That's right. And they need to remember why Trump was elected, that in part it was because of the promises to address the immigration problems. And some of these can only be done. That You know, they've, they've got a lot on their plate right now, and I don't expect to see any immigration legislation before the end of the year. But it better be at the top of the list for early in 2018 because, uh, you know, it, these problems are festering and they need to be resolved. And we don't, you know, want to go through, uh, you know, another terrorist attack or um, more another influx of 
people from Central America or people abusing the asylum system before this gets fixed. They know what to do. They just need to do it. And the bills are there. The House of Representatives has passed a series of bills that would address sanctuaries, gangs, um, E-Verify to help employers avoid hiring illegal aliens, and a, a number of other good legislation. It's sitting before the Senate right now, and uh, we need to see some votes on these bills. Jessica Vaughn is Director of Policy Studies at the Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org, for all of their research. Jessica, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Glad to, glad to be with you, and have a good weekend. You too. Merry Christmas. Um, Merry Christmas. All right, team. So we're going to uh, roll into a whole slew of stories next. The... We should come up with, like, I don't know, uh, a segment where you do, like, grab bag or something, you know, where you just, like, throw a whole bunch of things together. Sometimes Emily Zanotti will be doing the next, but Tyrone and I kind of do that on a regular basis anyway, just to come up with a cool intro, because we're doing a whole bunch of new stuff with the show starting in 2018. There's going to be a lot of uh, revamping and, you know, redoing and making stuff cooler, Uh, whatever the best way of saying that is. We're going to be making stuff cooler here on the show. So, with all that, uh, we got Emily Zanotti from the Daily Wire next on Chicago. And to borrow from the president, what the heck's going on there? She'll answer it. Stay with me. Been a very busy week in the news, but there are some stories we have not yet gotten to, but that's what we're going to do now with the help of our friend Emily Zanotti. It's Zanotti time, everybody. She is a writer for the Daily Wire. Check out what she's got up there at thedailywire.com. Ms. Zanotti, good to have you. Thanks for having me. All right, let's talk first about how Los Angeles wants to put shelter animals on a vegan diet. I think feeding dogs vegan food is a form of animal cruelty. It basically is. Dogs need protein. They can't manufacture their own vitamin D. They have so many dietary requirements that it really is basically animal abuse to put them on a vegan diet. But apparently LA wants to lead the nation in being progressive in their pet treatment. So they're asking all of their shelters to ditch the regular kibble and put everybody on an all vegan diet because animals eating animals just isn't right. Are they just going to blast NPR podcasts into the kennel and also make all the dogs meet with their life coaches? Right. <laughs> like they're all going to be assessed for their cultural appropriation on the way in or way out. Like, they all need to hear cereal, you know, like or, or I was going to say, what's the other? I was going to say the other one, but that guy is not doing NPR anymore. Uh, anyway, um, and I would also note that, you know, I this is a complete random note, but it's the third hour, Emily. So I feel like we can say whatever we want here. Uh, I did some research into a fox as a pet because there's a really cool. Do you know this Instagram account? Juniper Fox. It's oh, a, yes, I am familiar. Oh, I've, I mean, I'm all about Juniper Fox. And I'm like, this is amazing because foxes are so cute. And it's kind of like a cross between a cat and a dog because foxes yeah. have retractable claws. And plus, they just look really cute. Turns out um, they mark all their territory and it smells like skunk and you can't get them to stop doing it. And oh, by the way, there's a certain chemical. I forget what it is, something that's in a certain kind of food that you have to give them or else they'll go blind and die. You have to be very rigorous about it. And I was like, that doesn't sound like a good pet for me to have. Some of these exotic animals turn out to be a lot more work. Like I I have a friend who wanted for years to have a wallaby and now she has a wallaby. That sounds amazing. I want a wallaby. Who's your friend with a wallaby? Does she have an Instagram account? 
She does. It's Welby the Wallaby. I am legitimately <laughs> writing this down right now, and I want to follow Welby the Wallaby. That sounds amazing. <laughs> How's it working out for her? It's working out okay, but she's like, basically, I adopted a baby kangaroo, and now I just have a baby kangaroo. Like, it, it, it didn't turn out as wonderful as she had hoped, but I think it turned out as adorable as she had hoped. That is amazing. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm excited about this. And another day we'll talk about how one day I hope to adopt a wombat, but that's a whole separate discussion. So, uh, L.A. vegan diet. We got that on our list here. Yeah. Oh, what is this about? So you're a Chicagoan, right? Chicago, mm-hmm. right? Cause I, and I actually got to see you in Chicago in an event. Was, that was exciting. I actually saw Emily live and in person. And uh, Rahm Emanuel, though, has declared Chicago a Trump-free city. I feel like there's a, I feel like there's a, you know, a separation of powers issues here or, or like the mayor can't just ban an American citizen, particularly the president. No, no, he can't actually just say that Donald Trump can't spend a night like in his own hotel because we actually have a Trump Tower in Chicago. It says Trump on the side. It's very prominent. But he, uh, Mayor Rahm Emanuel went on Colbert's show and was like, oh, we have Chicago is the first Trump free city as though this was going to be some sort of selling point for living in Chicago. It's the first Trump free city. We're banning him from our city limits. Now, I mean, all right, fine, but it's not exactly like all of Chicago's problems are solved. We have a billion-dollar budget crisis. We have a the, we're the number one city for losing population. So we have six hundred homicides. Like I think we've got bigger things to worry about than whether Donald Trump runs a hotel room in Chicago. You know, Trump mentioned uh, in his speech. Do we oh, here? He mentioned Chicago in the speech. Play that, please, Tyrone. Now, more than ever, we must support the men and women in blue. In the last two years, America has seen a tragic rise in violent crime. In 2015 and 2016, we witnessed the steepest two-year consecutive increase in murders in nearly half a century. And you look at what's going on in Chicago. What the hell is going on in Chicago? What the hell is happening there? Uh, so what is going on there, Emily? You're there. You're a journalist. He's not wrong. Um, in the time since Rahm Emanuel has been mayor, which is just a little over four years, we have actually doubled our homicide rate. And That's astonishing. It so this is it's astonishing, and it's mostly from gang warfare on the south and west sides, but. We just can't control it. In fact, the actual chief of the police union went to the White House asking for the White House to interfere, to do something, to offer some sort of federal aid, and Chicago refused it. So we're looking at a more than 600 homicide year. Last year, we ended the year with just a little over 500. So this is a big jump from 2016 to 2017, and something's got to give here soon. We got Emily Zanotti on the line of the Daily Wire. She's Chicago-based. So speaking of all things Chicago and Rahm Emanuel and and his terribleness, uh, he is going to give out Chicago IDs for the, quote, undocumented and those on the sidelines. What is that? This is a weird plan on the part of Chicago to try to recognize the illegal immigrants who live within the city. It's not just enough, apparently, that we're a sanctuary city, that we can take in everybody 
and ICE is not able to ask them their immigration status when they're applying for a job or when an ICE person knocks on their door. Now we're actually going to give them tax ID numbers so they can pay city and state and federal taxes and also receive benefits. So, of course, this is going over very well with people in Chicago, considering that the city is dead broke and not able to pay for its actual school system. Now we're talking about potentially extending benefits to people who do not have legal status. But, I mean, we don't want Trump, so obviously that's that's something. I guess so. All right. So it's Trump free city, but he's giving out free IDs for all the illegals. Uh, One more thing I wanted to uh, touch on here, because I know you've probably got uh, exciting holiday plans in the in the Zanotti household coming up. You got it. You have a last minute shopping you've got to get to. I have finished my shopping, but I'm sure that there's going to be somebody I forgot. So I definitely have some last minute shopping. Ah, I got you. All right. Well, one more thing, though. Uh, Just update me on Blake Fahrenholt. We didn't get to talk about him earlier. We've been talking about some of the sketchy and, and bad dudes out there uh, and the allegations and all that stuff. But what's going on with Blake Farenhold? Another guy in Congress is in some trouble. Yeah, so Blake Farenhold ended up having to announce his retirement earlier this week. He was the subject of an $84,000 lawsuit that Congress settled on his behalf. It's not necessarily sexual harassment. What it really is is a unsafe and intimidating work environment. So he's been accused of making dirty jokes, of making his employees feel kind of icky when they're in his office, making things very difficult for them. And one employee actually approached Congress, threatened to sue, and settled for $84,000. This past week, another employee, a former communications director at Fahrenheit's office, approached the House, House Ethics Committee and said that he was in an unsafe work environment, that he wanted to make a formal complaint and it was at that point that Farenhold just said, I think probably more is coming down the line, so I'm going to step aside. Now, he's the first Republican we've had, aside from Trent Franks, who also had some issues with his staff, to take Al Franken's sort of lead and leave Congress. So we're looking at perhaps another dozen or so accusations like this. So he could only be the first of many. Emily Zanotti is at The Daily Wire. She's a writer. Check out thedailywire.com. Emily, have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We're excited to talk to you again in 2018. Sounds good. Happy Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas to you. All right, team, we're going to roll into a break. We'll be uh, back in just a few minutes here. I'm going to talk to you about I'm going to talk to you about great white sharks and killer whales. But it's going to make sense, trust me. That's coming up. So I want to share a totally random story with you for a few minutes, if I can. Uh, my little brother is traveling the world right now. He's down in on vacation in South Africa, and he's just posting all of these in- incredible photos. Uh, South Africa is, I've heard it's an amazing place. I've never been, but he's he's having a great time. He's posting all these photos, and he's you know seeing baby cheetahs in the wild, lions, and uh, I was going to say tigers and bears, but that's actually not true. He's seeing neither tigers nor bears where he is, but lions and uh, giraffes and gazelles and all that stuff that you would think, um, you know, warthog. Like, was Pumbaa or Timon, Amy, the warthog? Do we know? Pumbaa, Timon, the Lion King. Come on. One of them was, oh, gosh. Yeah, you. this is your generation. You're supposed to know this one. All right, I'll let, I'll let it slide this time. 
But anyway, there's a there's a ward she sent warthog photos and. But I, one thing that I thought, and my little brother is a, a very uh, intrepid fellow. I've always wanted to do that thing where you get into a cage. I know this. Some people are like that's so dumb, Buck. What's wrong with you? But I think it sounds cool to get into one of those cages where uh, you have the great white sharks that come up close to the cage. Like I just figure that looks pretty cool, right? What is you think of? And people will say too, Carcaridon carcarius, the Latin name for the great white shark, scientific name. Uh, it's the apex predator. Like nothing could ever match the. The might and fury in the sea of of the great white. And it turns out uh, that's not true. And that actually affects whether or not you can go see great whites anymore in South Africa. So so the biggest whites, they call them white pointers, I believe, uh, in either South Africa or Australia. But the biggest ones tend to be off of Australia and also actually off the coast of California, some really big great white sharks out there. I have a little sister, by the way, who's like an amateur shark expert. A lawyer, yes, but also an amateur shark expert. And the great whites off South Africa tend to be more aerial and acrobatic. And there was a very well-established population of them. And people could get in those ca- in the dive cage. You didn't need much experience. You basically just had to be able to breathe through the apparatus. You get in there, you're in a big steel cage, and you see the white sharks, right? And it... Sounds really cool, but but my brother can't do it, and he he thought about doing it, but it turns out that the whole notion of the great white shark as the absolute apex predator of the sea is not true. In fact, there's a big problem right now off of South Africa, because as crazy as this is, white sharks are being killed off. White sharks are being killed off by killer whales. And in fact, not only are the killer whales uh, killing the great white sharks, they are almost with it's been described as with surgeon like precision, removing the shark's liver because that is the most nutrient dense part of the shark. People have been saying that, that, you know, there have been some researchers that are are seeing this and they've never seen anything like this before. I mean, the, the New York Post describe some of the, the theories of how this is how this is happening, right? They find the bodies, they find the washed up carcasses, and it's clear the only thing that could be doing this, and it's also different bite marks and uh, you know, they they have ways, you know, hashtag science, right? They've got ways through marine biology stuff of figuring this out. But here's the theory. Uh, this is from the New York Post a couple of days ago. One theory is that orcas shut down all communication, sneak up and stun the shark by slapping it with its massive, powerful tail. Then it flips the shark on its back, causing momentary paralysis and pushes the shark through the water until it suffocates. The orca finishes off the attack by carefully tearing open a hole in the shark to remove the liver, the largest and most nutrient rich organ. Uh, so they've only had a hand. That's the end of the quote there. But they've only had a few white sharks wash up on the beach with the liver removed in this way. But they can't. They're not seeing as many sharks out there, which means that white shark tourism is way down too. And it's because they they think that there's like a pod of killer whales out there that just the the baddest dudes in the ocean, and they're just killing white sharks, which is pretty incredible when you think about it. Um, I, I will note that there was actually a really really bad horror movie that I saw. Here in New York on like the local, I think it was WPIX 11, which used to have all these kind of B-level movies that would run all the time. And I would watch them. 
and the orca. Uh, the movie was called Orca, and it was about a killer whale that goes rogue, and it, and is eating. It's sort of like Jaws, but with a killer whale. And what's that? That doesn't happen really. I mean, there have been some incidents with people and whales, but it's when they're in captivity, and that's a whole other discussion. Uh, but what you find out when you actually do a little research on these guys is that they're a lot bigger, heavier, and more powerful than sharks, and a whole lot smarter. And that's pretty crazy. So anyway, my little brother's not diving with white sharks because they. In South Africa, can't find them because killer whales are like snipers in the ocean, knocking them out and taking their livers. That's pretty intense stuff. I know it has nothing to do with Christmas. And you're like, Buck, what is this story? I just thought it was really interesting. <laughs> I still think it's really interesting. I'm like, Man, I guess I won't get a chance to swim with white sharks anytime soon if I go down to South Africa. Anyway, uh, safe travels, weeder. That's what we call them. And uh, I'll be back with some Team Buck Speaks in just a few minutes. Stay with me. Well, team, it's a snowy night here in New York City, so I'm getting ready to close up shop in the Freedom Hut and trudge through the accumulation of uh, sludge that will be on the streets, no doubt, waiting for me. Tyrone and I were talking, uh, Amy, too, we... Didn't see this one coming. I, I usually, when there's major weather that's going to hit the East Coast, the media's like, oh, my gosh, there's going to be weather. Uh, but this time around, there was no, I didn't see any warning on anything. Uh, I guess there was enough actual news to fill the news cycle this week. So I was uh, caught surprised. Anyway, it's going to be a nice uh, weekend to be snowed in. I'm going to get into some uh, Team Buck Speaks in just a moment here. I wanted to tell you, though, that we have... Been putting in motion some pieces on the History Podcast. First episode will drop of Shields High. First episode will drop on January 8th, uh, barring any unforeseen technical difficulties. So that'll be the first one. And I can tell you it'll be the Battle of Tours, French. Uh, Charles Martel, the hammer, dropping the hammer against the conquest uh, by the... uh, Islamic Empire. So we'll talk about that. That'll be fun. That'll be remember that'll be separate from the show. So those of you who like history, you just have to subscribe to this show. However, you listen to podcasts. Uh, iTunes is a great one. There are others. Google Play and Stitcher. And I don't know if we're on. We're not on SoundCloud, right? We're only on Stitcher. Is that right? I know we're on Google Play and I know we're on iTunes. So those are good ones. And of course, the iHeart app uh, that allows you to listen to anything we do here in the hut. But that'll be exciting. It's uh, a lot of a lot of work in the new year, but I'm looking forward to it. It's the kind of work I like. I'm going to be on the beach with Molly in a couple of weeks, and she's going to be like, are you reading stuff that's like for vacation? And I'll be like, yes. And then it'll be like, and then the Janissaries rip the heads off of the Knights Templar, blah, blah. And I'll be like, whoa, it's crazy. That actually would have never happened, as some of you know, but you, you know what I'm saying. So uh, let's get into, oh, wait, no, one more thing. I have a house guest this weekend. Uh, a friend of Miss Molly's is staying with us, a friend of hers from, from many, many years ago. And I am uh, looking forward to it. I Yeah, right? You got to be. I just the one thing I never liked being a house guest. This is just a, a weird idiosyncrasy about me. I, I've never been comfortable really staying in other people's homes, no matter how nice they are, no matter what they try to do to make me feel comfortable. I, I'm always polite and uh, try to be a a good house guest but i just i just always i like to be in my own space 
or I'd like to be in my space or paying people for the space I'm in. I, I don't generally like to be a, a house guest. It's just not something that some people love it. You know, they want to crash with their buddies. I've got friends my age, they're 35 and over the holidays, they'll still go crash out on somebody's couch somewhere. And they, they love that. They like that, you know, adult sleepover Netflix binge vibe you get from just staying at your buddy's place out in the living room. Uh, I, I don't like to, even with a guest bedroom, even if I have a uh, a guest chalet waiting for me or a little guest cottage, whatever the fancy terms are that people use for this stuff. Um, still, I don't know, being a house guest. And I agree. What's the what's the old thing about how house guests are like fish? They uh, They start to stink after, is it three days or four days? I think it's three days, but that sounds about right to me. Amy, is it three days? You've never heard this? My old man wisdom, really? Just because it's like a generational. She doesn't want to say it. There's a generational gap here. So I know, you know, I use words like nincompoop, and that's just not part of the jargon of, of Amy's part of the younger generation. So it doesn't really, doesn't really happen much. Sometimes I do have to yell, get off my lawn in here, just to remind everybody that, uh, you know, I, I, I'm 35 technically, but I feel, I feel 60 sometimes. Tyrone and I are about the same age, though. So Tyrone, but Tyrone's wisdom comes through all the time. So that's not surprising to any of you. All right, here we go. Um, We got some Team Buck Speaks coming in. Michael with the following. You've never been skiing. I think you do live under a rock in the Bronx Zoo. You want a real workout? Try cross-country skiing. You want to learn it? Go to the Waterville Valley Resort in New Hampshire. Uh, my son is there. He runs the Nordic Center, and he'll hook it up. Other than perhaps a pulled muscle or two, you're way less likely to get hurt doing Nordic Alpine. You can actually get seriously hurt. Yeah, I'll, I will tell you that <laughs> for those of you who are like, oh, you've never been skiing, I saw, because I grew up in, in New York, and I think it was a bigger thing in my youth for people from Manhattan to go skiing. I, I don't know. I don't see it as much now. Um, I, I don't see it as uh, people around me. I don't know. Maybe it's because I don't ski. I don't know skiers. But I saw so many people that would have a giant cast on their leg when they'd come back from vacation from a skiing accident. So maybe cross country is the way to go. I, I'd be willing to check that out. Uh, I have been doing, you know, one thing that I've worked into my routine that people say is so good and I'm. I kind of don't buy it yet, but they say it's is kettlebell swings. Do you ever do kettlebell swings? They say it's uh, from a uh, from a metabolic perspective, it's almost as good as doing wind sprints. I mean, wind sprints is basically number one, but kettlebells is like right below jump rope. And I mean, in terms of your metabolic, it's really good. Yeah, Tyrone's giving me the thumbs up on that one. It's hard, but I just kind of feel like I don't know how could this. I got to do it more. I got to do it more. All right. So maybe I'll add some cross-country skiing into the mix. Or what about snowshoeing? Eh? Yeah, there we go. should note that some of you took my advice and saw Wind River and liked it very much. I got those notes as well. Wind River, very good movie. Uh, intense and disturbing, but very, very good, I think. Well done for what it is. Uh, let's get to the latest. Stanton writes in, if you come to Utah, I'll teach you how to snowboard, Buck. We've got the greatest snow on earth. Well... Stanton, I can tell you that is a, a very compelling offer. The one place I've been in the United States where it felt like, wow, there's a, a whole lot of consolidated, congregated team buck was Salt Lake City, Utah. I was like walking around the streets. People were like, buck. I was like, hey. They're like, buck. 
back. I was like, what's going on? You know, that was that was fun because uh, obviously working at the Blaze uh, and with Glenn there, with Glenn as the the guy, uh, Salt Lake City was a very friendly uh, venue for us. I remember went out there for the Man on the Moon event, and I was in. I would just go to like a little random cafe or something to get a coffee and. There were nice ladies like, hello. And I was like, oh, hello, nice ladies. And we were having a good time. Uh, all right. But anyway, yeah, I'd love to come out to Utah at some point. But I'm going to the beach in a few weeks. So that's good. I'm going to be off the grid at the beach reading history books so that I can do my history podcast really well. All right. Uh, here we have Alan writing in. You were saying that today's show's ratings were up. And I think it's because everyone loves a train wreck. Now, if the ratings stay up, then you'll have a point. But right now, I think it's too early to tell. Uh, and I will say Tyrone yesterday made the same point. I think you guys are probably right. At this right now, it's kind of like, oh, wow, the Today Show, is it going to fall apart? And so people tune in to see if it's going to fall apart when Lauer leaves. But I still, the guy's not worth $25 million. Maybe he's worth $5 million. He's not worth $25 million. That's just nonsense. Um, and then he, Alan also wrote in, OMG, Buck, uh, you got He-Man's Castle is Castle Grayskull. You're killing me. Yeah, that's right. I got my parents got me a long time ago. They got me Castle Grayskull. I still remember it. I was like, oh, my gosh, Castle Grayskull. My life is complete. I thought it was amazing. Because, like, when you're a kid, too, even though now I feel like the best presents are small, right? The best presents would be electronic stuff or, you know, I don't know. Some of the ladies like uh, handbags, or I guess that's for people who are not little kids. But I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what kids like. The point is, I just remember the bigger the present, and the more you had to like get in there and get up to your elbows and wrapping paper and just like wah, just go crazy and take it, take it all off uh, the present. Uh, that was like the ones you're really excited about, right? You needed one big present, even if it wasn't the most awesome thing that you were actually going to use. Uh, I remember the biggest present I ever saw under the Sexton family tree was my mom got my sister a dollhouse. That was gigantic. Uh, anyway, what else do we have in here? Jeffrey writes in, you were talking spices on the show. I was listening this morning. I recently discovered a new one. Weaver's Dutch Country Farm Dust Seasoning. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Jeffrey. I will check out this new spice. That is, uh, that is exciting. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, let's see what we got here. Next one. Bo. Bo and Buck. Sounds like, a, sounds like a show where we get out there and hang out in America, do some bass fishing. I did, I will tell you, I did a lot of bass fishing growing up. We used, my dad used to take me and my brothers, and we would go out and just hit little ponds all around upstate New York. And bass was like, that was the exciting fish. Usually it was uh, perch and bluegill and you know, a little, a little kind of junk fish, but they're fun too. When you're a little kid, man, you get it. You get like a, a quarter pound perch on that on your little rod, and you're like, oh man, this is amazing. You know, you're fighting that thing. I'm talking like when you're seven, eight years old. I can post some photos of this. We still have photos of us all going fishing with these these tiny little fish. But occasionally, my dad would pull up like a four or five pound, you know, smallmouth bass or something, and that was like a monster. I was like, is it gonna eat me? It was like so big to me because you know that's. Yeah, it was the opposite effect of what happened when I went uh, alligator, not hunting, but alligator sightseeing with Molly. And I was like, that's the that's the alligator. I I feel like I could pick it up and put it in a, put it in my bathtub at home and it would have plenty of room. I was expecting something a little more uh, dinosaur like. 
Anyway, uh, Bo, Bo and Buck, pardon me for the digression, Bo. I'm with you, Buck. I never liked Lauer or Couric either, for that matter. They're both disingenuous phonies, and the reason I haven't watched any so-called morning news program in years. Thanks for keeping it real. Shields high. Well, Bo, clearly you are correct, and clearly they are disingenuous phonies, and I, I have it on good authority, not nice as well, which I always think is such a... Yeah, you know, such a uh, an important indicator of, of everything. Is somebody really nice or not? A lot of people say that there are folks in media they've dealt with who are nice, but you got to really spend time around them. You know, it can't just be, oh, I met them once in the green room for two seconds. Uh, you know, there's one day maybe I'll tell you. I, I wouldn't tell you who's mean in media necessarily, although maybe I would. But I would definitely tell you who's like really, really nice. Like a truly, de- there's some really truly decent people in uh, the world of media so uh, maybe one day maybe it's like a little christmas thing the next week i'll be like you know who's on my super nice list and santa should bring them all the presents in the world um all right gonna close it up shop here in the freedom hut have a great weekend everybody next week we'll have some fun some holiday themed stuff so be sure to tune in shields high